the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Ann Lynham Goddard, President and CEO of Child Fund International, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. Today, worldwide, 570 million children live in extreme poverty. Child Fund International helps many of these children to have the capacity to improve their lives and the opportunity to bring lasting change to their communities. But an awful lot has to go into making that happen, from generating the needed revenues to the actual work on the ground. And here to explain it all to us, it's a pleasure to have Ann Lynham Goddard, the president and CEO of Child Fund International. Good evening, Ann, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Good evening, Denver. Very happy to be here. Child Fund International, as it would ultimately become, started in 1938 in China. What was going on there that led to its formation? The world's changed a lot since those days. Back then, China had just uh, come out of the Seca, Second Sino-Japanese War, mm. and the condition for children was terrible. Um, and it was on the news a lot in the U.S. And our, and the, China had lost. And our, our founder, Calvert Clark, he was coming home on a train, and he ran into a friend, and they started talking about the terrible images that they had seen on, on the news about children in China. And his friend challenged him. He said, you've, you've started uh, nonprofits for other purposes. I think you should do something to start and help children in China. Hmm. I think Americans would care about that. And he did. Wow. And then where did it go from there? We were in China to 1950, and some people called the communists came in then and asked us to leave. Yeah. So we moved out, moved um, to Hong Kong at that point, and started up orphanages. Back then, in the early days of Child Fund, we worked in orphanages. And we spread throughout Asia um, mm-hmm. within the 50s. We moved to a lot of countries. We were in South Korea, um, other countries in Asia. And uh, that was kind of our hub. And then over the years, we now work all over the world. Right. And there are like 30 countries or whatever the case might be. Correct. You know, before we get into what the organization does, let's discuss some of the challenges that young people face today, children. Mm-hmm. You've done a lot of research around this and listened deeply to what they had to say. And you recognize that the experience of poverty for a child is Mm. different than it is for an adult. What are some of those differences? Yeah, we did a deep study a few years ago, several years ago now. And while adults, uh, listening to kids in Mm -hmm. all countries that we work in, and as adults might define poverty as not having things, children don't. It's part of that. Mm -hmm. But they also see issues regarding being vulnerable. In different ways, they could be because they're their gender or their minority in the country or the religious background in the country, that they're more vulnerable to economic things, um, environmental issues, et cetera. And they're excluded, that they don't, get, they don't get to be part of something that gives them opportunity. So children now define it in ways of not having goods, but also uh, being deprived, excluded, and vulnerable. So that concept of deprivation, exclusion, and vulnerability really um, – frame how we work, how we identify the kids we work with, and how we work with them. Yeah. So it's social and emotional. Yes, very much so. And kind of political, too, because not having power. 
Children mm-hmm. have no power, but sometimes the minority group that they're in have no power either. Well, picking up on that, how does that inform the way you work with these children and direct your services towards them? Okay. So overall, our framework is our goal is to help kids grow up to be healthy, educated, capable, skilled, meaning skilled, mm-hmm. and safe. So that's our overarching framework. But it, because of the issues of exclusion and vulnerability, it's not just the child we're looking at. We're looking at having, uh, working towards having families and communities support children. We're looking at the regional and national governments they work in supporting children, having laws and, and uh, policies that will protect and promote the worth and rights of children. And we're looking globally that the world is prioritizing children in their need. So you can't just solve the problem of one child. You have to look at their greater um, ecosystem that they live in because it's not just the deprivation. It's the exclusion and vulnerability that's often influenced by powers outside of them. Yeah, all those wraparounds really are are, are so important. Another big issue, and you just alluded to it, is um, violence and neglect Mm. now. About 36% of the global population is children. How many of them experience it? It's estimated a billion children a year. A wow. billion children a year. I'm going to repeat that because that's a huge number. Experience some kind of violence every year. And when we realized that, that's when we really started ramping up our uh, programs on protection and ending violence against children. We saw that the great advances Child Fund and many other organizations have made in helping kids live healthier lives and getting kids into school and to quality education, all those advances are being undermined by the violence in kids' lives. Mm. If parents are violent in the home, that's going to affect the health and welfare of a child. If teachers and uh, teachers themselves or other things, actors in the school, are having an environment where kids feel bullied or or abused in some way, the kids aren't going to go to school even if the schools are there. You're right. So we really have enhanced in the last couple of years our efforts in really coming up, uh, really focusing on the issue of ending extreme violence against things, kids. And from, from those two examples I gave you, but all the way to looking at things of child labor, early child marriage, child trafficking, all those outside influences are influencing yeah. kids and their lives. So there's a difference, too, I get, I would imagine, in the kinds of violence that boys experience mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. compared to girls. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Boys, it's often issues of labor, yeah. child labor. It could also be issues of being recruited into armed conflict, though that happens to girls, too. Girls, it's a lot of sexual um, harassment, sexual abuse at an early age. So they're both exposed to violence, and so we have to address both of those issues separately, but most importantly, um, to address them because, as I said, they're undermining the ability of kids to grow up to be healthy, educated, and contributing adults in their communities. Mm-hmm. You know, despite what you just said about the ecosystem and all the work you do there, you are really a people-centered organization Very and focus so. at, uh, at the child at the center of it, and you have broken that down into three age groups. So let's talk about each, starting with zero to five. What's your work there? Yeah. Our focus there is very much on health of very young children, but also on what we call responsive parenting, right? The parent is the most important person in the child's life, particularly in those early years. Mm -hmm. So we're looking in in that the example I gave earlier about um, violence in the home. We're working with very much on a model that's teaching parents how to be parents for their children how to develop so much has come out in recent years about the development of the brain in those first five years, but particularly the first three years. Mm-hmm. So how can a parent help 
stimulate that brain development through play mm-hmm. with children and through interaction with children. Yeah, talking we, to them. We just signed a great agreement with the Lego Foundation that's going to advance that work now in uh, Central America. They're very much interested in play and how its impact on the child uh, and the growth and development of a child. I like to say play is the work of a child. Uh-huh. So in those early five years, we're trying to get play happening. With, with with parents to really stimulate the growth of a child. That's great. The CEO of the Lego Foundation is going to be on the show later this month. Oh, he's a wonderful guy. I just I, met him. Really nice guy. I hope he is. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> the, the next cohort are okay. children between the ages of 6 and 14. Right. What's your primary objective there? Education, mm-hmm. right? Those are the years that kids should be in school. For years, Child Fund and many other organizations worked on uh, um, access to education, right? that there were schools there and kids could get there. And that's still a problem in some places we work in. But much bigger issue is the quality of what's happening in the classroom and the, and that the school itself is what we call a child-friendly place. The kids will want to come to the school. So a lot of focus on education. Mm-hmm. And finally, you seek to see that youth uh, are skilled mm-hmm. and involved in that 15 to 24-year-old range. How yeah. do you go about that? Yeah. So that's a lot of the soft skills we call the preparing kids for life leadership skills, sexual reproductive health education for those kids, helping kids become leaders in their community. So we do a lot of different things, helping them, um, if, they, if they're capable, to go on to higher education as well. A lot of our children in our programs actually go on to technical schools or universities, et cetera. But really to have those soft skills and the confidence that they can uh, achieve their dreams in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a central uh, form of philanthropy that Child Fund relies upon to mm-hmm. support these programs is child sponsorship. How does that work? Uh, It's a wonderful um, way to support the development of a child. We match a child in need that's enrolled in our country's programs to a sponsor who wants to help them. They establish a one-to-one relationship. They're free to write back and forth, and we facilitate that. The sponsor then contributes a certain amount of money per month for that child, and those funds then are pooled at the community level. Mm -hmm to run the programs that the children participate in. Most sponsors, and we welcome sponsors anytime to come visit our programs overseas, and many do because Americans now are traveling so much more. They might be on vacation someplace. Mm-hmm. They'll contact us in advance, and they can meet the child. When they go there, they realize that they're helping that one child, but even more so they're helping other children in the community because the programs that are run, many children participate in. If you're helping improve the education quality in a classroom, you can't just focus on one child, right? The teacher's benefiting. Their improved skills are benefiting all the kids in the classroom. So um, so the, uh, there's a one-to-one relationship. Some sponsors write, uh, send additional financial gifts to the child, which just goes to the child and is not shared. Mm-hmm. But the basic sponsorship amount they give each year, each month, is pooled to run the programs that children participate in. You know, in addition to providing the resources to make all this happen, what else do you think is at the heart of uh, this uh, the importance of this kind of relationship uh, through child sponsorship? I would say two things. One is studies have been done that have compared, for example, child sponsorship programs to, say, cash cash incentives and other programs like cash incentives for children to go to school. So they looked at the cost and benefit of both of those. You know, in both cases, you get kids staying longer in education, and does one have a better impact than the other? And sponsorship, there was evidence that supported the fact that what sponsorship does, in addition to getting the child in the school, sponsorship, because of that relationship of one person here and wanting to help that person over there, the child um, has a dream. Mm-hmm. 
and has an, um, a goal to accomplish more in life. So it's that caring part of someone helping them it lifts their aspirations of what they want to do in life. It allows them first to have the dreams and then helps them to achieve them. So that's one thing that really, I think, uh, distinguishes that uh, sponsorship. But the other thing I like to talk about is a bigger benefit right now for the world. There's a connection now going on between one child and one sponsor. And now, all of a sudden, those, those two people um, from two different countries who maybe never have a chance to see each other, mm-hmm. though some sponsors do, all of a sudden care about someone in another country. They yeah. have a personal relationship. I feel like sponsorship is building little threads of peace around the world, that the other is no longer a stranger. The other from another country is no longer a stranger. And that goes both ways. And I think in today's world, that is so important. Yeah, we do need some, to have some, some kind of attachment to something. It's a long-distance mentor-mentee relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of respects. How do you go out and market these child mm-hmm. sponsorships, promote them, and what does your typical donor look like? Uh, um, we a- acquire new supporters in many ways. One is through our website. But um, a big part of what we're doing now is through music concerts. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we um, get rela- we establish relationships with different groups, different bands, and they go on tour, and they learn about Child Fund, and we some of them come over and visit our programs in our in our countries, and they make an appeal during their performance, and we have volunteers in the back of the room, and people go back and learn more about our programs. They see they can pick an individual child. There'll be a package there with the story about the child, and they um, decide then and there, and they sign up to be a sponsor. We do a lot of. Uh, program music um, performance sessions are very family oriented. I've gone to see some of them myself. So you'll see parents and kids in the audience. So it really connects with the family that this family can help this kid in another country. Who have you seen? Or give me an example of a band or two. Oh, Not that oh, I would know. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna uh, uh, the Newsboys. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. they're they're a big band that we work with. <laughs> so and we've had, we had a uh, Beatles wannabe um, a band a couple years ago, and they were pretty good too. Oh, that's cool. You know, a key aspect of your model is to work with local partners in mm. those 30 mm-hmm. countries. Uh, what do you look for in a partner? What are your expectations of them, and what are their expectations of you? Yeah, uh, the, the main thing we look for is that they, like us, have uh, passion and commitment to making things better for their kids in their community, and they want to do some work with us in partnership with us to make that happen. Um, some of the and that they have they're registered as a local organization so they're governed by local national law mm-hmm. they're very much grassroots organizations parents are often on the board of those organizations that they have systems and we help them develop them too but they have systems to uh, both um, be able to deliver programs for kids but also be able to administer the funding report on the funding uh, be able to facilitate the letter writing back and forth between the child and the sponsor mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're not direct implementers. We're really, uh, in some ways, a donor to the local partner, the local community-based organization. And we feel this is a better way to do it. Because oh, no it's, doubt about it. It's building capacity in the country. There's sustainability. Some of them become are very strong, and they get funding from other places as well, which brings additional resources to help the kids in their community. Do you have any operations here in the United States? Yes, we do. Whoa. Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, we've been working in Mississippi for a while in a, a low-income income uh, African-American community. And our programs there is really on youth 
and youth leadership. We have a lo- great local partner there, and uh, those children, a lot of activities going on to develop um, the leadership capacity of these children. And a great example that, that we um, worked with, uh, we collaborated with a partner there, was a couple years ago, we have an advocacy day in D.C., once a year, the last several years, and we brought the youth from Mississippi up. This was a learning experience for them. Sometimes some of them had never been outside their state before. Mm -hmm. We brought them up to D.C. We educated them on some of the issues that are facing children worldwide, and they advocated on those issues, but they also brought their own issue to the table, which was funding for after-school programs. It was a great opportunity for them um, to really look at, learn about democracy, but also learn that they can be leaders in their community impacting issues bigger than themselves. Oh, wow, that's great. And advocacy is becoming uh, more important for yeah. child fund. You also advocate, uh, have advocacy, <laughs> I can't find that word. So um, advocacy has become more important to child fund over the years. And you have advocacy initiatives, not just here in this country, but around the world, correct? Yeah, yeah. because we're trying to get the environments for children that are conducive for them to grow up to be healthy and educated, right? So for example, I was in Sri Lanka a couple, about a year ago, where the children there are very concerned about issues of bullying in the, in the classroom. Mm. So uh, we educated them about the issue. They took it and ran with it. We had a Uh, We brought in youth from around the country, and they had an advocacy day when uh, senior government officials came to hear from the children. They came out with their own 10-point plan of how they thought things could be improved in the classroom for them. And the government minister sat the whole program right next to me and listened to the kids. Fantastic. Yeah, it sure is. The importance of measuring impact, uh, both as a means of getting better and also trying to show the efficacy of your approach to funders has never been more important. How do you go about doing that? Yeah. We have really focused on the last eight years about improving our monitoring and evaluation system, both to measure what's happening today but the longer-term impact on kids. Mm-hmm. So we can produce uh, yearly reports about how our children in our programs, and are they in school, are they having health problems, et cetera. But more importantly, to your point, impact takes longer time yep. to develop. And uh, now every other year, we pull together all the data, our impact data, to see how what's the impact on children and produce that in a report. It's on our website. It's also given to our donors. Um, and we try to share what's gone well, but wasn't hasn't, what hasn't gone so well, right? And we put out the best data that we have to prove to support both. And we try to very much take it as a learning opportunity for us that nothing is ever perfect and we have to constantly improve so what can we learn also from the data yeah and you try to be as transparent as you possibly can about it because then people trust you that you're not hiding anything in addition to child sponsorship what are your other sources of revenue and maybe some of your corporate partners yeah uh we like um we have uh, in addition to sponsors we have major donors that support our work Sometimes there are former sponsors, but sometimes they're not, actually. It's hard to turn a sponsor into a major donor. <laughs> we give a million-dollar experience for $35 a month as a sponsor. Uh-huh. It's interesting. But, but we have um, a, a nice base of people who are really committed to certain programs, certain activities, and we have our major gifts team for that. We've also diversified into grants, and both from the U.S. government, um, multilateral institutions, other governments around the world, but also corporate partners. Uh, Procter & Gamble is a great partner with us. Um, they're around very water? Inter- around water. I was mm. going to say their interest is in water. As I said, we just signed a great agreement with the Lego Foundation uh, focusing on responsive uh, parenting and bringing play into the work. For, uh, the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a variety of partnerships in different ways. We have a wonderful partnership with Simply Southern, really wonderful woman and her husband who run the company. They're it's in a apparel company. company, right? 
Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, through their own personal experiences um, from the past, they're very committed to children's issues in, in developing countries around the world. They give us a wonderful unrestricted gift every year, which I'm extremely grateful for. Yeah. And it really allows us to do great things for kids. That's great. And you also do some work with Caterpillar Foundation in Indonesia, I believe. Yes, yes. Caterpillar um, has been a great partner. We started working with them in India. Now we're working with them in Indonesia. Uh, they've been a great partner to work with. Describe the workplace culture at Child Fund International, uh-huh. the aspects of it that you think are truly exceptional, and maybe one or two things you're working on. Yeah. Um, I think we are a very humble organization. I think you feel that in the culture of the organization. Um, we're also not, I would say, informal. Mm-hmm. We have some very formal systems in terms of how we plan and how um, we obviously our finance systems and all that, but within an informal culture. Um, we're very much uh, an organization, I think this would make sense, that embraces diversity. We don't even think of that as a separate initiative. You know, we have about 1,000 employees around the world and 99.9%, well, most are nationals of their country. Mm-hmm. So, and if you work in 24 different countries, you're going to have a big uh, influx. Of, you're going to have a big diverse workforce. Um, we um, also are embracing more um, we're being concerned about our environment and concerned about the stress of employees' life. So we're taking much more working virtually as well as part of our culture That's of that right. organization. Yeah. So we have people, a lot of people working from home or working for different cultures. Um, I think it's hard to ask the CEO what the culture of an organization is. I think it's best to ask the employees of uh, what it is. I th- when I hear what they say, they say it's a place that has a lot of passionate people in it that are really committed to mm-hmm. doing something for uh, making the life better for kids, and will go the extra mile to make that happen. And that makes me really proud. Yeah. What I like to say to new employees when they come on, I I say that um, I hope during you know during their lifespan of their career that it that it turns I hope it turns out that child fund turns out to be the peak of their career that they really feel like they had the opportunity to deliver the best what they could do. Mm-hmm. I think it's an organization that welcomes you into your leadership space and says, here, take it, run with it. You don't have to fight for your space. We welcome people in and say, we need you. We're leanly um, uh, staffed up. You know, We need every person and what their job is. So here, take it and run with it. We'll help you be yeah. successful. Yeah. Are there any special challenges you find in leading a legacy organization? You're over 80 years old, so how do you remember, uh, remain nimble and cutting edge and all those other things? I like to say the organization is over 80 years old, not me. <laughs> Just to make that perfectly clear. Get those I th- pronouns correct. I think it's very hard. I think it's a much easier, this is my opinion, yeah. to start an organization from scratch than to look at an 80-year-old organization and change it. I would agree. And so we do have a lot of legacy things. And some legacy things are good and for good purpose, but some we need to change. So we really embrace in our current strategy the issue of innovation. Mm-hmm. So we've attacked in a lot of different ways. We put in a, an innovation fund to look at new products and new services that we could be offering our supporters and our, the kids that we work with. We've done a great, um, uh, it's our staff engagement program called MAGIC that brings meaning and autonomy into the workforce and gives people space because the biggest thing that stops autonomy is people feel they don't have the support internally to try something new. Right. So that's what we're trying to do, give that space. But it's really hard to change a culture. Organization is a living, breathing thing. Right, and you can't make it something that it isn't. 
you have to kind of nurture it along to the next phase. Mm -hmm. That's my experience. Well, I I think your experience is right on the money. Mm -hmm. Let me close with this, Anne. Child Fund touches the lives of millions of children every year. Tell us a story of one. Um, I think if you want to see the impact of Child Fund, you talk about the child that was in our program years ago and where they are today. I was in Kenya a few years ago, a place that I know well. I was a Peace Corps volunteer there many years ago. And I'm driving down the road with our Kenyan staff, and all of a sudden we got pulled over by the police. And I'm thinking, I know that we weren't breaking any law. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, what is this man trying to do? And so the policeman and our driver was having this conversation in Swahili, and I'm understanding a little bit because I remember the language. And all of a sudden, the driver jumps out of the car, and he and the policeman start hugging each other. I said, this is not your normal traffic stop. (laughs) It turns out the policeman... He was a sponsored child in our program many years ago. He saw the name of our organization on the outside of our vehicle. He didn't stop to give us a ticket. He stopped to thank us. He said he was a very poor kid growing up. He never would have finished school if it wasn't for his sponsors and the support of his sponsors. He remembered the name of his sponsored family that supported him from the U.S. Afterwards, he sent me a photo of him and his wife and two little kids. And in that photo, it encapsulated what Chaplin is all about. Ending poverty in a generation, and with him we did it. That will get you up every morning, won't it? Well, Ann Lynham Goodard, the president and CEO of Child Fund International, thanks so much for being here this evening. Where can li- listeners learn more about sponsoring a child and more about the work that you do? On our website, childfund.org. Please come and learn more about the contribution you can make to making the world a better place for kids. Well, thanks, Ann. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Denver. I'll be back with more of the business of giving right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.